What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey folks, before you tap into this latest Lakers Legacy podcast episode, we would please like to ask for your guys' support. All you have to do is subscribe to us on the Apple Podcast app and leave a five-star rating and review. That goes a long way in maintaining the consistency and quality of this podcast moving forward. And also, it just lets us know that you're listening, and we love to know that you're listening. So thanks for your support, and yeah, go hit that five-star rating and review button. And now, on with the showtime. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where once upon a time, the Lakers were close to trading for Buddy Heald, or maybe even close to waiting and seeing if a sign-in trade was possible with the Spurs for DeMar DeRozan. But instead, they pivoted last second and traded for Russell Westbrook. And well, the Russ is history from there. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, and today, With the Lakers season over, with teams out of contention able to start talking with one another about trades and whatnot, today we'll be talking about Russell Westbrook. Tommy, quick question. Do you want Russell Westbrook back? How imperative is it that the Lakers (laughs) get rid of Russell Westbrook? And you can keep it short, but yeah. (laughs) Well, controversial take. I don't think he should come back. Um, No. Yeah. (laughs) That probably was unexpected to many listeners. Um, No, I... Look, I don't think again. I, when you're, we've talked about this before, but when you're thinking about carving up a blame pie for the season, I don't even think Russ is in the top three or four. You know, reasons for why the season went the way it did, at least directly. Um, you know, but he he clearly is not a fit with LeBron and AD. He clearly, unfortunately, okay. And this is where I thought, if anything, he would get the benefit of the doubt on this. But he clearly, unfortunately, does not want to do the little things to win. He wants to be the guy. He wants to be the point guard. He wants to be running the show. And I mean, I, it's, you heard all throughout Russ's career that the one thing you can count on Russ for is that he will be out there competing his hardest. And we did not see that this year. 
I think. Maybe we saw it in flashes offensively. We certainly, certainly did not see it defensively at all. Um, And in terms of just engagement mentally with the team throughout the course of the season, I mean, this is not even something that, like, developed when things started going bad. It was from the beginning of the season this guy was not playing defense and, and was not willing to engage with what the coaches wanted him to do on that end. So it's not going to work. I think it's in both guys, both both sides' best interest to let him go. Hopefully he comes back next year on whatever team he's on and has a, you know, Wizards type or even OKC type resurgence. I'm sure he will because he has a lot to prove and whoever gets him or signs him at this point is going to know that, you know, you're sort of letting him take the reins of wherever he goes. That's like the risk you're running. And I think he will help a team, but it's just not us. Yeah, and not to mention his exit interview pretty much put the nail in the coffin with regards to whether or not this situation could work, even chemistry-wise, heading into next season. I mean, the way that he went out sort of placing blame on everybody else but himself, not taking accountability for anything outside of, yeah, I could have played better. It was just not a good look for, for Russ, and it felt like he was just going down swinging, emptying the barrel of his gun and... Russell Westbrook is one of the most unself-aware players that I have ever seen, and he may be a good guy off the court, but this is not the type of personality that I want to be rooting for as a Lakers fan. And yeah, and I, you know, I empathize with Russell Westbrook and the tough position he was put in, and having his contract held against him at every turn. But I think the situation is just untenable including how the LA fans respond to Russ at crypto.com arena you can't bring that into next year even if you want to say well if everybody's healthy let's just see how the first half of the season looks I think if anything this season showed how important it is to get off on the right foot and I don't think you want to risk having things turn sour again to start the season so you got to try and rip the Band-Aid off and make a clean cut this offseason with Russ and find him a new home, I feel like. And again, it sucks the position he was put in, some of which you just mentioned, but he has regressed just very objectively. And from a human standpoint, it's tough to see a dude have his come-to-Jesus moment while trying to, in the moment, help a team be a contending team with all this turmoil going on. You know, it's just it's just tough to have an existential crisis through all of that, so I empathize with Russ. But, but yeah, it, it just can't happen in a place like L.A. with all this pressure and all this pressure on so many different parties, you know. So um, we wish Russ the best. But, yeah, let's move on to the different scenarios the Lakers have with Russell Westbrook. So number one. They can try and reach a buyout agreement with Westbrook, at which point whatever lesser amount Westbrook chooses to walk away with will then become the new number on the Lakers' salary cap. I think this is pretty unrealistic. Um, Number two, the common and most discussed option, they can try and trade Westbrook's expiring to teams looking to clear their books for summer 2023 uh, when there will be better free agents than this offseason. And the Lakers would then take back multiple multi-year contracts of players that are likely not very good or players that come with major caveats. Number three is an advanced version of number two. It's that they attach assets to Westbrook, such as a first-round pick or two, even THT or, sadly, Austin Reeves, so that LA can actually get back more attractive assets besides multi-year salary dumps for players that can't actually play or that nobody wants. Number four, 
Nuclear option number one. The Lakers stretch Westbrook's contract over three years, thereby lessening his cap hit to $47 million divided by three years, which would leave about $15.6 million in dead cap on the Lakers' books. But this move would bring L.A. below the tax apron and allow them to potentially avail of the full MLE of $10 million and the $4 million biannual exception. And also, they wouldn't have to give up any additional assets, right? Number five, nuclear, nuclear option number two. The Lakers keep Westbrook for the first half of the season, see how it goes. Maybe he plays better. <laughs> oh my and they, they have better cohesion, or LA trades him at the deadline when teams' outlooks are clearer and the teams are like, okay, we'll take Russell Westbrook on for like three more months and get to clear our books. We already discussed why number five is not an option because you don't want to start the year off in that capacity and in that way. So before I ask you which of those options uh, you'd like to most sort of vie for, uh, some additional tidbits. Because the Lakers work as an over-the-cap team, they can take in up to 125% of Westbrook's salary in a trade. So they can take back $58 million and actually relieve another team of $11 million more from Westbrook's 47. If you add Kendrick Nunn to a Russell Westbrook package, the Lakers can take back $65 million. If you add in THT to Russell Westbrook, they can take in $71 million. If you add THT and none, the Lakers can take back almost $77 million. Though it's important to note that THT does have a player option after this season, so he's not exactly an unrestricted free agent. So the team taking THT back would have to obviously keep that in mind. Regardless, the Lakers can clear anywhere from 58 to $77 million of long-term contracts off a team's books so that that team can go into a more highly coveted 2023 summer when guys like Beal, Harden, Kyrie, Vucevic, Miles Turner, Jeremy Grant are free agents. I think this is especially attractive for a team on the playoff fringes who wants to make that push and they just want to clear their books for 2023 and sign a real difference maker who could take them over the edge. And it's important to also note that I think in most scenarios, the team who's getting Russell Westbrook in a trade will probably not be using him on their actual roster. It's hard to find a fit for for Westbrook. And in most scenarios, that team would negotiate a buyout with Westbrook and save even more money. Because if they negotiate a buyout with Westbrook, they're likely getting some money back. So it's a lot of savings for a team and also gives them an ability to go into 2023 with clearer books. So um, out of the, let's say, four options, uh, buyout agreement with Westbrook, trading Westbrook for multi-year deals or attaching assets to Westbrook for multi-year deals of better players and then for the nuclear option of stretching Westbrook which one would you say you are hoping more for well I think if you can turn Westbrook and even if you have to use picks or either maybe THT or you know another young guy and you can get back real NBA players who can help you um I think that has to be option one in, in mm-hmm. most scenarios, or it certainly is for me. I don't really view... I mean, I I think the interesting thing about all of this, right, is there's so many ways it can really go. But when you when you broke down the options just now, it really got me thinking, like, we actually are going to have to... They're going to have to kind of know before free agency starts. And I, I was always using the draft as a benchmark, but free agency starts a week after the draft or so. Um, they're going to have to know by around that time what the final answer is here. Uh, 
if they end up taking the, you know, I think you described as nuclear option one, I'm stretching Westbrook over three years. If they are going to do that, they're going to have to know that that's what they're going to do because they are going to be targeting somebody with that $10 million MLE, you know? So if you don't need the $10 million MLE, you maybe you have a little more flexibility or time to think about it. Um, a lot of the other options, you know, trading, for example, and I think we've talked about this certainly at other times, like Oklahoma City right now has a ton, and we can make a trade with them, by the way, right now, because the season's over for both of us. Um, but Oklahoma City has a lot of flexibility right now to make a Russell Westbrook trade without sending that much in terms of money going out. The second that the new season, quote unquote, kind of kicks in, in other words, July 1, Shea Gilgis Alexander's contract extension kicks in. OKC does not have the same flexibility anymore that they do now. And you kind of lose them as a, uh, as a partner in a trade because their whole value is their trade flexibility. Otherwise, everyone else they have is on very small contracts and it doesn't really make sense for a rust trade. So, it's it's going to be interesting, but I, I think we'll know one way or the other pretty soon. Yeah, and in the second part of our segment, I'm going to break down to you all the teams who have multi-year contracts and quote-unquote bad contracts, and we can kind of flesh out um, maybe who's more likely to do a trade with the Lakers, whether we do this trade, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm just kind of laying the landscape for you, and I agree with you. I think my picks would be I, I'd want to even if it may hurt us a little bit to have to attach an asset to Westbrook, I don't think you want to saddle yourself with just multi-year contracts because then you're just giving yourself new problems, right? If those players aren't actually good. So if you have to, again, hurt yourself a little bit more and add a a first-round pick or THT so that you can actually get multi-year contracts of players that can actually contribute, I think you have to do that. Otherwise, you put yourself in a new Westbrook situation just split up and for longer years, right? And you don't want to have to deal with that. So what are your thoughts on how would you gauge the Lakers' prospects of actually being able to get rid of Westbrook or pull off that plan? Because regardless of what I've been hearing, you know, New York doesn't want to talk to us and, you know, there's it's going to be so hard for the Lakers to get rid of Westbrook. And maybe I'm just being super homery and putting on my rose-colored glasses again. But personally for me, I think Westbrook's contract is an asset. I know other teams can help, like, let's say, Indiana get rid of Malcolm Brogdon just by itself because $20 million is is easy to clear, or other teams can help them get rid of Buddy Heal just by themselves with their expiring contract. But for me, I think the value of Westbrook's contract is he can sort of erase your books in one fell swoop, right? He can take back $58 million and take back multiple players and totally restructure your roster and your front office's long-term team building plans and then on top of that because he's a player you don't actually want back and I I know this is extra work for the team getting Westbrook they're still going to save more money again by negotiating a buyout with Westbrook so it's tons of savings as well as you know the benefit of going into 2023 with so so much money and being able to attract a free agent and you know, for me, I kind of liken this to, th- so the best case scenario of all this, and I'm not downplaying the situation where we get crap for Westbrook and we can't get anything done and it's actually hard, but I think the best case scenario of this Westbrook deal would kind of look like like a lower end version of what we did back in 2008 when we traded for Pau Gasol. With inflation and everything like that, what we're trying to do with Westbrook is kind of the same thing we tried to do back then. Because do you remember when people were like, 
Kwame Brown, the Lakers got Pau Gasol for Kwame Brown. That's essentially what we did, though. We traded Kwame Brown, Javaris Crittenton, our first-round pick the year prior, Aaron McKee, the second-round draft rights to Marc Gasol, and two future firsts in 2008 and 2010 for Pau Gasol. And the main benefit for Memphis Grizzlies, even though they got two future firsts, but those two future firsts were so soon after that they knew they were going to be late first-round picks, right? They weren't trading for Kwame Brown. They were trading for Kwame Brown's $9 million expiring, which would clear their books the next year so that they could, I think, re-sign or sign Zach Randolph. So that's sort of the benefit we'd be giving another team, clearing. And it's not even, it's like Kwame times two with Westbrook. We're like clearing multiple players off of your books and giving you a fresh restart. And then, so this is just fun trivia, but the two first round picks that we gave the Memphis Grizzlies were in 2008 in 2010. Tommy, do you know who those two players were that the Lakers missed out on because Memphis got them? Right. Um, I actually looked this up at some point. Damn and you. I, okay, give no, it but to I, me. At some point. I don't remember it. This was years ago when I was okay. trying to remember the Pow trade. All I remember is that I think one of them like never played in the NBA, and then one of them like played in the NBA for a season and never, you know, neither of them were in the NBA for more than like two or three years, I believe. Okay, yeah, so one of them sort of played in the NBA. One of them was kind of a starter-ish sort of player. Both were number 28 picks, believe it or not. 2008 and 2010, which makes sense because we were in the finals or won the championship in both. So I think I may have these dates. Oh, no, no, I have it. I forget which year each of these came in, but one pick was number 28 pick, Dante Green. (laughs) Uh, So I think Dante Green played a little bit, but we... We don't really know where his career went after that. And then the other pick was Grievous Vasquez. Um, so oh, pretty Grievous. solid player, yeah. but, you know, people of players of no consequence at the end of the day for the Lakers. This time around, if the Lakers trade their 2027 first along with Russell Westbrook, that's going to be a way better pick than, you know, a number 28 pick. Most likely. Yeah. That, that we gave Memphis because it's so far out or not so far out, but well enough out that the Lakers will probably not be finals contenders. So, oh uh, yeah, back to this Kwame for Pau angle. That's how I sort of see a Russell Westbrook deal shaping up. If the Lakers are able to structure a deal, so I think a similar structure with Westbrook would look something like Russell Westbrook, Kendrick Nunn, Austin Reeves, or THT. Future first, 2027, and a second round pick, I think that sort of approximates the Kwame deal while also understanding we're not going to get anyone as good as Pau Gasol back. But I'm not even technically ruling that out as well because you never know what happens. But given the fact that the Lakers are operating from a tough position of everybody knowing what they need to, to do, I'm guessing we won't get like a Pau Gasol type player. If we did, I'd say the closest player we can get, and even this is still pine the sky, would be, I don't know, maybe don't get shocked if we're able to pull off a Damian Lillard trade and that's only if Damian asked to be traded specifically to the Lakers and the Blazers want to start their rebuild and so for them it's like okay well let's get THT and Reeves in here plus a 2027 first and build around Anthony Simons so but yeah what are your thoughts on that Kwame Pau angle and how yeah how would you gauge the Lakers prospects of being able to get rid of Westbrook and then after the turn we'll talk about some of the proposed teams 
So I think I agree with most of what you said. I think it's actually more possible to get rid of Russ than probably most people are giving credit. I mean, of course, when it's the Lakers involved, like everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon of like, haha, like, look at like, let's all point and laugh. And there's no way they're going to be able to get out of this. So you get a lot of those takes. But even that little example, you or excuse me, little the Lillard example you dropped at the end there. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I mean, it would require Damien specifically saying, trade me to the Lakers. All I'm saying is, if he did say that, they have $60 million committed to him and Eric Bledsoe for next season. And Russ plus, you know, THT or whatever could could clear all of that in one fell swoop, plus we have the uh, two first-rounders to offer. So, I don't sorry think... Sorry to, to interrupt you. I will say that Eric Bledsoe is a partially guaranteed contract that they can clear. So okay, it's only it, $3.9 million uh, guaranteed. But to your point, Damien is on for three more years at $42 million, $45 million, and $48 million. So Portland doesn't necessarily need to, to clear cap room, but in terms of doing Dame a service and also maybe getting some assets in return while also it being a clear-cut trade because you just swap Russ for Dame's contract, it may make sense, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's definitely not that far out of the question is the point. Um, And I think, you know, an interesting angle, like you brought up, and maybe this is a more helpful example, like the Indiana thing, right? Like, let's leave Miles Turner out of the equation. Like, if Indiana's goal with Rick Carlisle is to sort of come back into low seed playoff contention as soon as possible, which in the East is like, and with a coach like Carlisle, I think is always somewhat realistic. Let's say they don't want to move Miles Turner. Buddy Heald has two more years making $40 million total. Malcolm Brogdon has three more years, um, you know, making over 60, 68 or so million. Um, TJ McConnell has three more years, you know, making like 27. Yeah. They have some like long-term contracts. And now that they have Halliburton, now that they, you know, have seen how quickly Chris Duarte uh, was able to develop, um, they don't necessarily need guy. I mean, it's, I think it's clear to everybody that Brogdon is not on their timeline. I think it's clear that like Heald doesn't really fit what they're trying to do, especially if they have like a guy like Duarte. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it would be interesting in that sort of case for us to be able to... And by the way, no one is suggesting that Indiana would keep Russ. But for us to be able to go to Indiana and be like, we can give you one guy to clear both of these contracts off your books. We can even throw in some picks. Um, well, not only both, but um, like you mentioned, Brogdon, Heald, and McConnell. We can clear yeah. all those guys. And McConnell's... Look, Brogdon's going to be 30 years old next year. Heald's going to be 30 years old going on 35. McConnell's going to be 30 years old. You can start your rebuild exactly. around Tyrese Halliburton in one fell swoop, and we'll give you 2027 future first and Tyrese Halliburton's Iowa State buddy and backcourt mate THT. THT, you know? exactly. So, and there's options, right? And like, obviously, when you're just looking at this, not from a, you know, maybe if you're looking at this with a skeptical eye, you might be like, well, they should be able to get something more for Brogdon. I, I don't know, right? Like, Brogdon has so many years left. He's already older. He has many years left. He's getting paid $22 million, which, for, in my opinion, is reasonable for what you get from him. But if he's who healthy. Has, if he's healthy. But who has $22 million who wants Brogdon, right? I mean, this is not like a case where you put Brogdon on the open market and people are sending you free future first and sending you, like, young stars to get Brogdon. Like, rebuilding teams don't want Brogdon. 
most of the serious contending teams, you know, to the ex- I think there's a limited sample of those that would need a guy like Brogdon. Um, if you if you look at like the top contenders, and then even among that set, you know, it's like it's not like those teams are overflowing with assets to trade for him. So, a- and would be willing to commit to like his three additional guaranteed years on his contract, right? So it it's. I think there are avenues to getting uh, a rust trade done. I think my biggest concern with all of it is there's not there are not that many avenues. So once certain doors start to close, it's going to be really hard to, you know, I, I, you're going to have to stretch them because it's not like yeah. a case where you're putting a guy up for for um, on the trading block and every team in the league is a possibility. We're talking about like five teams that could. Yeah. You know, that have the contracts that work to do it and where it could make even a remote amount of sense. Um, There's not that many. So, like, if the offseason starts and the Knicks, you know, or like, I'll get into the options. So I have the actual options for you. I'll say in addition to that, my biggest concern is a time crunch that they have to operate within. And be like, hey, we got to get this done soon because we're also looking for a coach and the draft is coming up. And it's just a lot of things coming to a head at the same time. You're just hoping, you know, clearer heads prevail and we're able to make a smart decision with how we approach this Westbrook thing. Because like you said, if we choose to stretch him, well, you better have a taxpayer MLE guy pinpointed, right? Or if it's not Malik Monk, are you going to split that up, that $10 million MLE for $6 $6 million for a monk and then $4 million for another player. Rob Blinka really has to Rubik's Cube this. And then, you know, sort of monitoring the Damian Lillard situation, monitoring the Bradley Beal situation. It would be so funny. Uh, I'll, I'll save it for the next segment. <laughs> um, but let's take it to break. And when we return, I'll outline the other teams in, in contention for Russell Westbrook and who the Lakers may trade for. And... Tommy, I will have you rank them to see which one you would take if these teams were uh, amenable to making a Russell Westbrook trade. So we will catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we're back. Tommy already mentioned the Indiana deal, which would likely center around Brogdon, Heald, and McConnell. And we'd likely send Russell Westbrook, as we mentioned, a 2027 future first. Hopefully, we can keep Reeves out of it. If we need to put THT in there, I think you have to do it. There's the Indiana option. The next option that's been talked about recently via Mark Stein is the Charlotte Hornets. Now, I know Mark Stein also recently reported that the Lakers presumably are not too interested in taking on Gordon Hayward's $30 million contract over the next two years. Well, my take on that is, of course the Lakers wouldn't be interested in taking on Gordon Hayward's $60 million contract over the next two years. You know who else the Lakers are not interested in taking on heading into next season? Russell Westbrook. Now, I know Russell Westbrook's expiring. Gordon Hayward is technically a worse contract because he extends into 2023. But in my opinion, this is sort of the Lakers just posturing. Is it ideal that they take on Gordon Hayward's contract? No. But I think that's the Lakers just putting it out there that, look, this situation isn't great for us either. So if we're going to take Gordon Hayward's contract on and give you an expiring Russell Westbrook to clear your books, then we'll take Terry Rozier's contract as well, but 
we, we're not going to be paying you a first-round draft pick. Maybe we'll give you two seconds and we'll get the deal done. Or if we have to give you a first-round draft pick, then you have to give us Kelly Oubre and P.J. Washington as well. So I think when Mark Stein is saying that the Lakers are not interested in taking Gordon Hayward's contract on, that's not an end-all, be-all statement. That's just typical posturing Lakers trying to get some leverage so that they can lower the asking price that the Charlotte Hornets will likely ask them for taking on Russell Westbrook. So really, that's all it is. But yeah, getting back to the Charlotte Hornets and the actual parameters of a deal that could be proposed. As we know, the Charlotte Hornets are a smaller market team. They don't want to pay luxury tax. They have a couple of big decisions to make on Miles Bridges' extension, LaMelo Ball's extension. So getting off of some salary coming up would probably be a number one priority for them, which is why they're a likely trade target for the Lakers. So a Charlotte Hornets deal would likely center around Gordon Hayward, who's going to be 32 next year. He's on for two more years, $30 million next year, $31.5 million in 2023. The next big contract that they have that they likely will want to offload is Terry Rozier, Scary Terry. He's going to be 28 next year, but he's on for four more years. $21 million, $23 million, 24, 26.6 in the 2025-2026 season. That's tough, but, and and I view Rozier almost like a more three-point prolific version of Dennis Schroeder. It's almost like, Schroeder trying to morph into Damian Lillard, but I think there's something there with Rozier, even though he's already 28. He's a career 37% three-point shooter on high volume. He made three threes last year and the year prior, hitting 37 and 39% respectively. So even while the contract kind of makes you want to throw up a little bit, especially at the tail end of it, he's probably a much better point guard prospect than we've had recently. Again, just think of Schroeder trying to morph into Damian Lillard with Terry Rozier. And then they also have P.J. Washington, who's going to be 24 next year. He's an expiring $5.8 million, but in 2023, the Hornets will have a qualifying offer available to him of $7.9 million that they need to decide whether or not they want to exercise. So maybe they don't want to do that and they want to put that decision on in another team's hands. So technically, the Lakers could get rid of Hayward, Rozier, and P.J. Washington in one fell swoop with Westbrook. And then some other caveats. Plumlee is an expiring $8 million with a partially guaranteed contract next year. Maybe they want to offload that decision to another team like the Lakers. So Kelly Oubre has also been mentioned in various trade package proposals with the Hornets. But he's an expiring $12.6 million this upcoming year. And I believe it's only $5 million partially guaranteed as well. $5 million guaranteed out of 12.6. So if the Hornets wanted to get rid of Kelly Oubre and clear him from their books, they could just do so this year. And he comes off their books in 2023. Now, the only reason why I think they'd add Kelly Oubre in a package for Westbrook is if they're just trying to save, I don't know, more money after they sign Miles Bridges to an extension for this upcoming year. But I really don't see Kelly Oubre as someone that the Hornets absolutely have to get rid of because, again, they can just get rid of him themselves. So I'm not sure how likely it is that we'd even get Kelly Oubre in a package. Um, Although I think we would probably want him included because there are very few wings out there with regards to the Lakers' potential trade partners in a a Russell Westbrook deal. And Kelly Oubre would be one of the few guys who's a legitimate 6'9", 6'10", wing who has a little bit of versatility in him. So Kelly Oubre, I put a little bit of an asterisk on. 
So really, we're looking at Hayward, Rozier, P.J. Washington, maybe Mason Plumley. And again, the Lakers can get rid of all those guys with Westbrook, and maybe you add a Nun and a THT and draft compensation. So there's the Charlotte scenario. Next, we have the Knicks scenario, Tommy, which you kind of alluded to before the break. This deal will likely center around Julius Randle. He'll be owed $105 million over the next four years. His new extension <laughs> kicks in, I think, next year, where he'll be paid 23 25 27 and has a player option for $29 million uh, during his age 30 season. So he won't be a free agent till 2026. Then you've got Fournier. He's on for two more years with a club option for the third year during 2024-25. He's owed $18 million next year, $18.8 million in 2023. The Knicks have Burks, who's owed $10 million next year, but they have a club option for $10 million his 2023-24 season. So New York could just not exercise that and save money. So they don't necessarily need to clear Alec Burks off their roster. Same goes with Noel, who also has a 9.6 club option in 2023. Um, the interesting one is Cam Reddish, who will be paid $5.9 million next year. But sort of like the P.J. Washington situation, the Knicks will have to decide whether or not to extend a qualifying offer of $8.1 million to him in 2023. So they may also want to sort of offload that decision to the Lakers, right? So the Knicks package is sort of looking mainly like Julius Randle, Evan Fournier, and maybe you can get Cam Reddish. So same sort of thing, you know. Westbrook, none, THT, and THT was close to becoming a Nick uh, at the trade deadline. So you could see something like that happening. It's about whether or not we as the Lakers would want to take on Randall's crazy contract, right? So there's the Nick situation. The Oklahoma City situation, Tommy, which you also mentioned before, they obviously don't need to clear cap space for 2023. This deal would be a salary dump for them. And we would be giving them assets just to take on Westbrook's contract so that we'd have cap relief and be able to get under the tax apron and avail of the full mid-level exception plus the biannual exception. So a deal with OKC would look like Derek Favors expiring $10.1 million coming our way, maybe Ty Jerome's expiring $4.2 million coming our way, or Mascala's $3.5 million club option coming our way. You're trading off essentially $47 million and taking back anywhere from 10 to $17 million, freeing up your cap books to maybe use that full MLE. I would hope that it would just be Derek Favors and Ty Jerome or Derek Favors and Mike Muscala because if you're taking back $17 million and having to give up like a 2027 first or even a 2029 first, at that point, maybe you just think about stretching Westbrook and not giving up any assets because... What would be on your books would be $15.6 million. But regardless, that's the OKC situation. Us just giving straight assets for salary cap relief. And we could we could sadly use Derek Favors for one year, right? Just as a backup big man. So that's the less attractive option. But um, those are the main teams out there. There's also, lastly, the Houston Rockets, who still have John Wall. They don't need a clear cap space. So they'd want assets back from us. But seeing as to how... We didn't make a trade with them at the trade deadline. It kind of doesn't make sense why we would do one now. You know, at, at best, we may give them a second round pick again. But I also think that Clutch is going to try and initiate buyout talks with the Houston Rockets. So at which point, it makes no sense for LA to give up any assets, even if they want John Wall, right? It's just like, 
get him off the buyout market if that's the case. So Houston Rockets are not really an option. But how would you personally rank the Indiana option, the Charlotte option, the OKC option, the New York option, and then I'll also add the stretch option? Uh, I know it's quick, quick math and quick thinking, but I guess you can start at the top at what what package seems the most viable to you. And again, I'm not saying these are likely or these teams would do it, but I'm operating under the context that, okay, these teams are willing to take Russell Westbrook on, save that money, all the caveats, et cetera. So out of that batch, Indiana, Charlotte, OKC, New York, and the stretch option, how would you rank that? Yeah, so I think I'll just take it in buckets. Like I I think the two that, the Charlotte and the Indiana I put in the same bucket as sort of like an ideal outcome. And like to your point, not necessarily saying that these are even realistic possibilities, but that sort of outcome where we're sending them out maybe with a a young player and getting real players back who could help us on their contracts are not horrific. I think that's ideal. I think in the non-ideal outcome, I probably put the New York sort of situation where you're taking back, yeah, you're you're splitting Russ into multiple players, okay, which is an accomplishment in and of itself. But you were taking back contracts that are like so toxic that I mean they're gonna be it's gonna be just as hard to get rid of these down the line, you know. It's what like I mean? you're so, just digging yourself another grave with yeah, exactly. Randall potentially. And but to add the icing on the cake, right? Because you could say, like, oh well, I don't know, maybe in three years it'll be hard to trade a guy like that like uh what's his name brogdon or maybe in next year it'll still be hard to trade a guy like hayward whatever you can sure you could make those arguments somewhat reasonably but it's more about like at least if those ones pan out you know what i put call my first bucket like if those types of players pan out in that trade it's going to work there's not really a scenario i can see where like you make that trade with the knicks and those players pan out the fit is so awkward with Randall, it's, LeBron, and I mean, and it's AD. just as bad. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just as bad as the Russ situation. The only difference is Randall is younger and maybe a little hungrier. But he has a lot of the same issues. Yeah. I mean, beyond the lack of ability to shoot, the suspect decision-making and the fr- the visible frustration. The crazy thing about Randall is he gets so... And you like it, right? You kind of like the fiery personality when it can be controlled and funneled into something you know, productive, but his is a lot of just general complaining and getting frustrated with his own play and taking it out on his teammates and the other team. Um, and, and I just, excuse me, the thought of living with that for an additional four years is just like very depressing. And so I would put that in like the least desirable bucket. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere in the middle, I have the stretch, which I don't view as the worst case scenario. I view that as like if your options are take the Knicks package or just stretch them, I would stretch them. You know what I mean? And 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 so I that's why I, I, I sort of put that in the middle, I think. Where would you put the OKC scenario? Because I have uh-huh. and forgive me if I if I if you mentioned it, but I actually have it ranked very similarly. I have it number one Indiana, number two Charlotte, number three OKC. But number four is a close between stretch and OKC. The The problem with yes. OKC is how many assets are we giving up? Yes, right? exactly. The problem with the stretch is you have 15.6 for the next three years. The benefit with the OKC thing is, is you know, you clear your books for 2023 onward, but what did you give up to gain that cap flexibility? Is it 2027 first and Austin Reeves? Where do you draw the line, you know? And I also have uh, New York as the fifth option. So where do you have OKC there? So... 
I am thinking about it similarly. And I would have I, I think your your point is exactly correct that OKC depends on what you're giving. And so if the Lakers make the calculus that fifteen point six spread out, you know, per year over three years is is you know, means less to them than keeping a first round pick, that's fine. Now if OKC tries to like flex and say no two first round picks then you stretch them. And I think that's the thing is we have the stretch in our back pocket. So as quote unquote desperate as we are to move Russ, it's not the case that we have to move him to another team and we can independently just do something ourselves. So having that in our back pocket, I think helps a little bit for negotiations, but yeah, if OKC is standing firm with, no, 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 we want two first or we want a first and one of your young guys, I would probably put the stretch ahead if it's like one first and you get a guy back who may maybe be able to help, but like a role player type guy, then okay, maybe that OKC rises a little bit above um, in that scenario. I'll just say if any team wants Reeves, let's just stretch Westbrook because Reeves is untouchable. Tommy, let's just, <laughs> yeah. let's just I mean, put it right there. <laughs> he is basically untouchable, I think, right? And and the thing about the stretch is I guess I don't view it as that bad of an outcome yeah. because for the first year of the stretch, you're stretching to use the $10 million, um, the higher MLE. So you're hard capped and whatever. You're going to spend what you're going to spend. The second year, you, you're still going to have LeBron and AD. So it's not like you're signing max guys. I mean, the LeBron AD window is at least two more years. I think. Well, I think depending accounts. on if LeBron signs an extension, because I think this is his last year, right? So he'll be a free agent in correct. 2023. Correct, correct, correct. But I think everybody's expecting that he yeah. is going to sign an extension that matches up with whenever Bronny's going to come to the NBA and which coincidentally lines up with AD's, you know, timeline as well. So Assuming that the LeBron AD window is at least two more years, if two out of those three years you're dealing with Russ's contract, who cares? And after that, in the post-LeBron AD era, also who cares because you're going to be rebuilding at that point anyway, and $15 million yeah. is not really going to make a difference one way or another for you, and that will be the final year. So I don't view the stretch as the worst-case scenario, for sure. Yeah. I agree with you. So to close this episode, I have some lesser talked about dark horse options. You ready for this? I'll just run through them and I want to get your thoughts on them. So dark horse option number one, Atlanta Hawks. John Collins is on the books till 2025, 26, making 23 million, 25, 26, 26. Clint Capella is on till 2024, 25, making 18, 20, 22. And that last year, he'll be 30 years old. They also have Onyeka Okongu, who they want to develop now. Um, Bogdanovich has a player option that he'll likely take in 2023 of $18 million. And then there's Kevin Herter, who just got an extension, who will be on the books till 2025-26 for 14, 15, 16, 17. So they have some long-term salary that they can try to clear if they don't like the current alchemy of their group around Trey Young. And again, they're not going to be using Russell Westbrook in this, but maybe they'll get a 2027 first or a THT out of it and also clear their books for 2023 to better fill a team around Trey Young, right? So that's one option. Trying to clear John Collins, Capella, Bogdanovich, and or Herder. Number two dark horse option, the Clippers. In 2023, the Lakers could essentially clear Norman Powell's 18 million off their books, Marcus Morris's 17 million, Luke Kennard's $14 million, and those combined are $49 million. So Westbrook for Norman Powell, Marcus Morris, and Kennard, that clears their books. 
And Powell's contract runs till 2025, 26 as well, when he'll be 32 years old, earning $20 million. So, I mean, if the Clippers want to clear their books, we can help them do that. And I don't know, maybe they'd play Russell Westbrook. I doubt it. But oh, actually, I don't think this is going to happen because Reggie Jackson's on that team and they have a lot of beef with each other. But I'm just putting the Clippers out there as a team that could have a need or want to clear their, their books for 2023. The third option, third dark horse option, the Utah Jazz. Uh, Rudy Gobert is owed $41 million in 2023, and his contract goes on till 2025-26. We know all about his you know, beef with Donovan Mitchell. In his last year, he's making $46 million. Not saying you can get Gobert, but just putting it out there that that's an albatross contract. Outside of Gobert, though, Jordan Clarkson will also be owed $14 million in 2023. Rudy Gay will be owed $6 million. And Conley will be owed a partially guaranteed $14 million of a $24 million contract in 2023. So even we could get rid of those, you know, long-term contracts, especially because it seems like the Jazz are on a, you know, precipice and a breaking point of what to do with their roster. So they may want to start that as soon as this year and having your books cleared for 2023 with Donovan Mitchell and maybe Rudy Gobert still on your team, maybe that's a situation they may want to explore. Um, Last dark horse option, and it's a funny one, I mentioned it before the break, but depending on whether or not Beal signs an extension um, with the team and whether or not they want to remain competitive or they want to try or whether the Wizards want to actually try and build another team around Bradley Beal, but they need help restructuring their, their cap books, it will be so hilarious if the Lakers trade back Westbrook to the Wizards and get Kyle Kuzma and Porzingis, who both have player options for $13 million and $36 million, respectively, in the 2023 offseason. And I don't know. I just find a lot of humor in that. And it <laughs> sort of makes sense because the, the Wizards can go into the 2023 offseason with Bradley Beal and say, hey, we've got money to spend. And the Lakers can be like, hey, we got Kyle Kuzma back, and uh, here's Chris Tapp's Porzingis for some reason next to Anthony Davis. But quickly to close this show, what are your thoughts on the Hawks, Clippers, Jazz, and Wizards? And actually, you don't even have to go through all of them. You can give me, like, who makes the most sense and what deal you would want. Well, the interesting thing about the Wizards trade, and, and this wasn't reported, is actually in the in the contracts for the trade, there was a takesies backsies clause, um, and the Lakers <laughs> have one nice. year from executing to takesies backsies. <laughs> so that would be fun. I mean, the Wizards one, I'll just comment on that one specifically, and the other ones, I'll just give general yeah. thoughts. But the the Wizards is interesting because, by all accounts, okay, and and there's plenty of time to have changed the narrative on this, but by all accounts. The reason we had to even throw in a first, and you know, in, to get that trade done, was because the Wizards did not want to trade Russell Westbrook. You know, they made the playoffs last year for the first time in many years. Um, I, it was in the play-in, but they still made it. Russ was good for them. Um, he led them on a really strong second-half surge. They sort of had a roster that was built to play to his skills um, and skill set, and. They were lacking leadership. You know, they had Bradley Beal, obviously, but having like a veteran point guard next to Bradley Beal when, you know, John Wall didn't really pan out was was kind of important from their perspective. And and 
you know, it took Russ going to the owner and saying, hey, do this to me as a favor, and also the Lakers throwing in that first-round pick to get the deal done. So it's not outside of the world, you know, realm of possibility that they'd be like, okay, whatever, let's just run it back with Russ, especially now that they can get it done with other guys, like to the extent they want to keep Kuzma or, you know, other assets that we traded them in, in that Russ trade, they can keep those guys. Um, and maybe get it done with other players that they don't want. Um, so I, that one is kind of funny. And, <laughs> but you know, in general, I think, there's going to be so much noise and there's going to be so much like such and such has emerged as a suitor for Russell Westbrook. And I think it's going to take like a master class in marketing to <laughs> figure out how to get this guy off of the team. But yes, you know, the thing is the one thing that we do have working in our favor is it's not just us. It's both sides. Russ also wants out of here. Um, unfortunately, I guess for him, cause I think he was optimistic when all this hat went down, but he wants he wants out of here as well, and I'm sure his agent will be, you know, also along with Rob and and the Lakers front office, like trying to find him an opportunity that makes sense, um, and trying to work with another front office to to get him that outcome. Now, who that ends up being, and and how all of that stuff sort of shakes out. I mean, things change quickly in the NBA. You know, what I mean, one bad playoff series that could change the way that they start looking at things, you know? So, and, and there's a few teams like that to your point. So we'll have to wait and see, but it will take a, a massive effort by all parties involved to get something done. I agree. And I'd be shocked if it wasn't one of the teams that I mentioned out here. I mentioned like nine teams, so it's we'll see, but it's going to be one of these teams yeah. <laughs> or the stretch. Uh, but yeah, we will end it here and yeah, we will again, buckle up for, what's going to be a crazy off-season of negotiating on Rob's part, and it'll be very interesting to see how we get ourselves out of this hole and where Russell Westbrook tries to, you know, re-up his career and find his groove, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, stay tuned. Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. Laters. <laughs>